Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. On July 25th, Tunisian President Kais Saeed fired the prime minister, dismissed parliament, and assumed dictatorial powers. This was a self-coup in which the president invoked an emergency clause in the constitution, allowing him to rule by decree. The move came as a shock to outsiders. Tunisia was long considered the lone success story of the Arab Spring. It was where the Arab Spring began in 2011, and it was the only country to emerge from the upheaval as a functioning democracy. The Tunisian civil society groups that helped peacefully broker a political consensus around the country's democratic transition even won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2015. But as my guest today, Tarek Mejerisi, explains... Tunisians, by and large, have grown increasingly wary of this political system. It has not delivered for them, and it is in this context that Kais Saeed, who was a relative newcomer to Tunisian politics, was able to seize power. Tarek Mejerisi is a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations, and we kick off this conversation with a discussion of Kais Saeed's unique background before having a longer discussion about the domestic and international implications of this power grab in Tunisia. This is a timely episode. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or send me an email using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And if you are a regular listener to the show, please share it with friends and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way to grow the audience and make this an even more sustainable enterprise. Thank you. All right, now here is my conversation with Tarek Mejerisi of the European Council on Foreign Relations. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Kais uh, Saeed is a constitutional law law professor. He's not a politician by by experience or by training. Um, and he kind of came out of nowhere in the presidential elections in 2019. His campaign started slowly and quietly. He was kind of the outsider uh, who spoke a lot about how the system needed to be changed. You know, he was quite a, a populist character. Um, and it seemed to to get quite a lot of traction quite quickly. Uh, in the first round of voting, I think he surprised everybody uh, by just um, what percentage of the vote he got. Um, and then he he ran away with it in the second round of voting and he won by a landslide. 
I mean, by some kind of measure, um, President Saeed received more votes to become president than the entire Tunisian parliament got um, for each of their MPs. Um, so it's it's quite a significant um, show of support for the message that he was giving, which was this kind of nationalist, um, quite traditionalist, um, economically left-wing idea that um, you know Tunisia's political system had been corrupt and essentially needed to change. Uh, and then what came after was was a surprise to some and and not to others in the sense that he spent the next two years um, believing that his his huge landslide victory had given him a popular mandate to reach outside the traditional bounds of the presidency, which is a largely ceremonial position in Tunisia's system, um, to to try to exert some control over policy and and with the hope of making constitutional changes. But in doing so, some would say and, and, and argue that Said almost became a part of the class which he loathed so much. You know, he, for the last two years, even at times of, of extreme crisis for the state, like in trying to deal with the COVID-19 response, he has been an obstructionist and he has stopped policy from moving forward. He has stopped changes from being made, all as part of a political gambit for him to get his own way. So he's kind of a mixed bag and has come along quite some way from being this, you know, extremely well-spoken, almost poetic um, constitutional law, law professor who appeared on the scene in 2019. Yeah, it's funny. The the descriptions I hear of his speech and his diction are, are fascinating. Apparently, he speaks with like a very almost like odd diction, but is also kind of like styles himself as a man of the people, which is interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, he... You know, it doesn't need to be something which, which sets him apart as maybe a member of the bourgeoisie, but it's something that that shows that he has some re- refinement, if you know mm. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. He speaks cl- classical Arabic very well. He writes as well. His calligraphy is is incredible. And he writes these, you know, very nice looking uh, letters sometimes. Hmm. But at, at the same time, you know, he's been a, a professor in a local university his his whole life. He stays in the same kind of lower middle class neighborhood his his whole life. And so that's where he gets this man of the people vibe from, even if he doesn't really have the traditional populist personality. So what triggered this extraordinary decision move on July 25th, in which he has sought to exert extra constitutional powers? Well, you know, as I said before, this is this is something that he has attempted in various guises over the past couple of years. Um, and we've seen this one coming for a while, even if, as always, it, it's a shock when it finally happens and when it works out so well. Um, you know, there's been a, a conversation during the rounds for the last couple of months of whether President Saeed should trigger Article 80 uh, as a way to kind of undercut the chaos of the moment, whereby the present government was seen to be failing Tunisians on the economy and, and on COVID-19. Um, and this was something that his supporters were, were discussing. Um, and we saw leaked in, in the Middle East Eye a couple of months ago, the exact plan almost, which he mm-hmm. used last Sunday. Um, and just just to be clear, Article 80 is the provision in the Tunisia Constitution that enables the president to invoke uh, emergency powers. 
yeah exactly um and it's something which is kind of designed as you know these typical emergency clauses within a constitution um designed for for some unforeseen scenario but you know for a constitutional law professor he's taken a very abnormal reading uh, of the constitution um because he really should have uh discussed this first with the prime minister um and the speaker of parliament uh, and the parliament is supposed to remain in session um per- per- permanently whilst this clause is 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 active um and so some would argue that you know president said has actually declared a state of emergency and the imminent threat he's responding to is the parliament itself uh, and that seems to be their description of 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 why it's still constitutionally valid um but these kind of strange readings of the constitution which you know when he's questioned about them he'll just respond with the notion that he's a constitutional law professor um it's not something new once more uh they they this is how he has been trying to exert control over the state throughout the, the last 2 years because as a president in Tunisia he hasn't really got very many tools at his disposal uh, but given that the Tunisian system never really appointed a constitutional court he is actually the um the last arbiter so to speak the guy who gives the final ruling on any reading of the constitution and so he is really exploiting that to his advantage here and that's an important point to emphasize that um the tunisia you know just doesn't have a constitutional court it was supposed to be set up but it was not been but it has not been set up and so you're saying that now the president is just assuming those authorities himself um what authorities has he given himself over the last uh, few weeks he's given himself all the power essentially um you know by by dissolving parliament first uh, then he realized that he can't just dissolve parliament and he he can only freeze them um and by firing the prime minister and by extension his government um he he kind of assumed all executive and legislative powers in his hands even if it's not permanent legislation which he can create he will rule by decree effectively and then on top of that he named himself the chief prosecutor again this was something that was pushed back on um by the the judiciary in Tunisia uh, but it gave a pretty clear signal that that for the time being for at least the next month president said is going to be the executive the legislative and the judicial branches of the Tunisian government I mean it's just sort of extraordinary when you think about it someone who has very little political experience got himself elected into what you describe as a largely ceremonial position used that position to assume full control of all levers of government yeah it's it's quite remarkable and you know president said has always been a a bit of a clumsy guy uh, when it comes to to his political scheming uh and he's usually been outmaneuvered by by the more experienced politicians within the system so it's something of of a surprise that that this time it actually worked uh and this was largely down to the army um because after he he made his announcement the response of the prime minister and the parliament was the typical response to president said let let's just ig- ignore him and and carry on about our business and and that's that um but when the the parliament tried to attend an an emergency session the military blocked them uh, similarly uh in the early days or in that first night uh when the prime minister sought to to try to plan a cabinet meeting uh, the palaces of government were blocked by the military 
And so um, the military essentially made sure that everybody had to listen to President Saeed this time around. Um, and and this is something, again, which, which was um, provided extra impetus or, 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 or extra weight by the popular response that his uh, announcement got him. Um, and this kind of idea of ruling by a popular mandate is always something that that's driven President Saeed and given him that that sense of purpose to do things which others would merely view as destructive or obstructionist. Because the popular response to this coup is was was largely you know receptive. There haven't been like mass protests. People are generally accepting of it. Yeah, I mean there were celebrations at first, hmm. um, and it's it's kind of weird, right? Because if you see all of the the vox pops and you know the people who are speaking or interviewing those on the street you get kind of a clear indication that this is not so much a show of support for president said it's it's a show of support or a, a sign of relief um that finally the the population have gotten one over their political class who who they view as as wholly responsible for the mess that they find themselves in um and so this has been, you know, a tremendous boon to to President Said. Now, it's not to say that he has the full support of the country. I think that there are still quite a few groups scattered across the country um, who are either professionals such as legal associations um, or are just supporters of various political parties who don't agree with him. Um, and many who celebrated the decision but are kind of wary about where this all might lead. But for now, you know, those political parties have have told their supporters to not go into the streets. Uh, they don't really want to challenge this because I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Said has has made a clear de- decision. Um, he seems to have popular support for it. So perhaps there's a political calculation at the back of their minds, with which goes along the lines of, well, you know, if we give this guy an, enough rope, he's just going to hang himself if, 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 if eventually. So let's not mm. challenge the street. So, you know, Tunisia was the sole democracy to emerge from the Arab Spring. You know, the civil society groups that helped broker the compromise that led to the, you know, at one point of flourishing democratic moment in Tunisia, you know, they won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2015. You know, here we are six years later. How did we get to this point? Well, I mean, in a sense, we kind of got to this point because... Ever since some, ever, ever since the world kind of applauded the the constitution and the spirit of cooperation um, that that came from that consensus politics, um, everyone has just ignored Tunisia. Um, and whilst everybody's attention was turned elsewhere, uh, Tunisia's political elite kind of settled down into a new status quo. Uh, and this is something we've actually seen elsewhere in the region, um, even in places where the kind of political re- revolutions weren't as successful as Tunisia, um, whereby, you know, you can get rid of a dictator um, and you can even have elections and parliaments and so on, but it becomes a lot harder to get rid of the dictator system. Um, And new politicians and new elites just get corrupted into the same ways of working. Uh, And this is essentially what happened in Tunisia. Uh, I mean, the various political parties um, were all caught up in, in, in what's almost kind of a petty soap opera, where they are always scheming and fighting with 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 one another for a bit more control and a bit more power, and never really dealing with the the problems of the state. And these are severe problems. 
Um, and so even the plans of the constitution were not carried out. You know, we've talked about the, the constitutional court, which was never formed. Um, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. Uh, there were also all these commissions which were supposed to be formed that would help the judiciary and the state kind of address key issues. Uh, these were ignored. Um, a lot of the key laws were never updated um, for, for, for fear of antagonizing the interior ministry. Uh, the penal code was never revisited. So Tunisians feel like they were supposed to have done a revolution to, to reclaim social justice and to reclaim more control over their economy. And yet they got a new political system, but their relationship with their interior ministry stayed much the same and their e economy and their economic prospects got worse, if anything. So they felt like there was a lot of unfinished business there. In the days since the coup, I don't know, I'm calling it a coup. It seems to be like a coup. Maybe it's a self coup. It's, it's, it kind of, you know, seems to me like a coup. Uh, I don't know. Is that how, is that the, the term of art you would use to describe it? Yeah, I mean, I think if if you look at exactly what happened, it seems to to be a pretty textbook example of, of what they would call a uh, a self coup or an auto gulp, which is, you know, a legally elected leader just simply uses or exploits um, the system that he's in to gather all powers in his hands. I mean, that's a a pretty accurate de description of what happened, but. There is a lot of pushback against this word coup because there are a lot of connotations with, which come with it and it's seen as denigrating uh, the opportunity which people believe that that Kai Said has given them either correctly or naively. Hmm. Fair enough. So, so what has been the international reaction since uh, the events of July 25th, both regionally and you know, from the United States and, and key players in Europe? I mean, from the Western world, it's been kind of muted. Um, I mean, you would have expected the the strongest response to have come from the Europeans on this, given the, the European relationship with, with Tunisia, Europe's role in kind of trying to help the democratization along. Um, but it's it's been kind of a let's wait and see where this goes approach. Um, some very neutral statements were released, um, essentially saying that, you know, President Saeed should uh, ensure to respect the system. Um, while staying on the sidelines, the strongest response has has come from uh, from the United States, actually, um, where, or at least it's the, the most public response, whereby, you know, the Secretary of State Blinken has has um, published readouts of his calls with President Said and has has said quite clearly that that he expects President Said to not cross certain red lines that would end Tunisia's designation as a, as a, as a democracy. Um, and I think that's the strongest message he's received yet um, to tell him to not, to not cross that Rubicon. Um, the regional picture has been, has been a bit more contested. Um, so we have Tunisia's immediate neighbors or, or the, the big powers in its neighborhood, uh, which are Algeria and Morocco, you know, two countries who are in a, a constant kind of pantomime competition with each other. Um, and Algeria has, has kind of taken up this, this big brother-esque role over Tunisia in, in, in recent years and is now trying to, to step in to mediate this and to ensure that, that things stay stable, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, there is a, you know, a, a group of states in the broader Middle East and North Africa region and let's call them the the counter re, re, uh, re, revolutionaries, so to, so to speak. Those whose whose policy for the last ten years has been to push back the Arab Spring, 
and these are namely the the Arab Gulf monarchies um, and Egypt. Uh, and they've been extremely receptive um, to what President Said has done. Uh, they have, you know, used their 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 media channels to to cheer him on and to declare this as a great success against the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, there were even some kind of cryptic messages of support that they the 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 day of Said's coup announcement, saying, you know, a big blow is coming um, to our enemies or to our Islamist enemies in the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, and it seems that that the next step is going to be there to to give some political support and some diplomatic support to President Said should he need it, uh, and just to let him know that that they are there to defend him and that he should feel free to um, to take this where he wishes to take this. Um, and this might cause some friction, especially if if Egypt and Algeria, although there was a statement that was released saying that they are both uh, in 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 sync here and they they both support President Said. What's going to happen if they start clashing with 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 one another over who gets to be President Said's best friend and and the kind of country which manages the soil? And maybe it's worth pointing out that part of the kind of political context in which uh, you know these other countries in the region are are intervening, you know, is that the largest political party I believe is a moderate Islamist party, Anada. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, El Nahda. Um, yes, I've done it several episodes on Tunisia, and I've just never gotten the name of that political party correctly pronounced. It's the H <laughs> in the middle. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, so it was in this context, for example, that um, Said kicked out uh, Al Jazeera, you know, uh, from the country, and part of this broader, you know, competition. I mean, just to to clarify. Um, they weren't kicked out of the country, but their their offices were closed and they were essentially expelled from the offices itself. And so they've they've been working since then, I believe, in in the offices of the the journalist union or, or mm. some other civil society organization. Um, but yes, you know, this was this was a, a move that was in line um, with this kind of posturing or positioning that it was a Nahda who are um, uh, and the, the 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 Muslim Brotherhood or, or the Islamists, who are the boogeyman um, of Tunisia and the wider region, so this is part of their pushback against them, um, and it's something which kind of serves um, Said's policy here because not only is it useful to to pick up that narrative of fighting against Islamism and the, the Muslim Brotherhood in order to secure support from some very ri- rich friends in the Gulf. Um, but it's also useful for him to to keep the support of the street, uh, you know, so that in the coming months, um, should he start to falter, should he fail at bringing in economic re- reform or, or dealing with the pandemic, which is more than likely, he can simply point to a fifth column in the country, say, you know, this is all and Nahda's fault. They're pushing back against me. They are undermining me. Um, and it's something that I think will have some resonance given, you know, how much preparation there has been and you know the the strength of the narratives produced over the last ten years that seeks to blame the, the Muslim Brotherhood for every single ill uh, in the Middle East and North Africa. So, lastly, you mentioned this kind of thirty day inflection point uh, following the events of July twenty fifth. What is that inflection point, and what is its significance for how? you know, events will unfold in the coming several months? Well, 
technically under Article 80, um, after it's been in force for, for 30 days, uh, either the Speaker of the Parliament or, or a collection of parliamentarians have the right to, to question uh, or to call for a review um, of whether the state of emergency is still valid by the Constitutional Court. Um, now, given that there's no constitutional court, and so this um, responsibility falls to President Saeed, it's not um, the most foolproof mechanism um, for for getting a fair reading on this. Um, but nevertheless, the 30-day mark has kind of been held up by everybody as, as almost like the point where we see whether this was just a move by President Saeed to try to to jumpstart Tunisia's revolution and, and to kind of push some reform into the system, or if he's really going to go full autocrat here and, and just kind of cement power in his hands. Um, so, you know, by the 30-day mark, um, we should see him appoint a new prime minister. I think, and I'm, I might be wrong here, but I think that this was one of the points brought up in his phone call with, um, with Anthony Blinken. Um, and again, at this 30-day mark, if we don't see any progress, I believe that this is the point where we'll start to see some pushback um, from the political parties um, who have, you know, not really said much so far. Uh, and again, from all these civil society organizations, which, which are supporting President Said for now, because they believe that this is a, you know, that he has given them a really rare opportunity to actually force some change into the political system. Um, and so they, they don't want to spoil that, this opportunity. But, you know, they are already starting to show some signs of concern. Um, and by the 30-day mark, if we haven't seen any idea of where the country is going next, especially considering the huge problems on the horizon, like an upcoming default, then, yeah, this is the point where things become clear, essentially. Well, Tarek, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful and timely. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to talk to you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Tarek. And Tarek wrote a piece in Dawn Media that very helpfully helped me better understand the situation in Tunisia. And I will post a link to that in the show notes of this episode. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.